the Own Your Intuitive podcast is for the creatives, spiritual entrepreneurs, and light workers in the world. The shining ones who have been told to dim their light and stop believing in magic. I say screw that. The time to rise is now to bring your gifts out into the world in a big way, creating a business that feeds your soul and your bank account. You are a magical being with the potential to change the world, one human at a time. The time for you to own your intuitive is now. Magical beings of love light, I am so excited that we have an extremely special guest today. She is someone that I have known since my journey basically began as an author, and we've kind of co-created in different places in different ways, but always come back to each other in some form of another and our paths have crossed. And so with like great love and admiration, I am excited to announce that today's Own Your Intuitive podcast is with Christina Hallett, who I don't even know where to start with, by the way, Christina. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. (laughs) There are just all the things that I want to talk about in, in all the ways, because you really have lived a life and a journey that kind of is pretty spectacular. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I feel pretty good about it. And there have been so many changes in my life. Like it's not, no one's road is without twists, turns and bumps. And I am all about saying, oh, yeah, look, there's a twist, there's a turn. And that was not even a speed bump. That was like a huge (laughs) pothole. So kind of my go-to kind of beginning question is always the same. And I find it really interesting because I always like to know where people came from, like what their birth story is a little bit, like what what we chose in our human body to begin our life journey in. And so if you could give a little bit of your origin story to the listeners, I would really love that. Absolutely. So um, I grew up north of Boston and small town on the water called Swampscott. Nobody's even heard of it, but it is next to Salem, which many people have heard of because, you know, right. So that's where I grew up. And I was the person who um, my dad, he's still alive, but at the time he was a uh, gym teacher because that's what we called it. Later on, it was phys ed, but, you know, it was a gym teacher. And back in those days, we also had separated boys and girls gym. So he was like the boys gym teacher. And I was right. This is like as young as I look. This was a long time ago. So um, I was the person who I was always playing sports and I was very much what I would have called a tomboy, so to speak, again, vernacular of the times. But if there was like a group setting or a picture, and this is why it's notable, I was the person who was like eyes downcast shyly in the back. Like, I definitely was not in the front, did not want my picture taken, was super uncomfortable with that, and, like, was in a place in my life where if I was with people I knew and was comfortable with, I was friendly and outgoing and sociable and and positive. But put me in something that was new or, like, whatever the kids' version of a cocktail party was, uh, no. I Like, that did not work for me at all. Super uncomfortable, super shy, and super introverted. And then I would sort of, it, which is so different, like, that's one of the things I share that part because people look at me today and I am a speaker and I'm on all these stages and I'm like – we all we're going to talk about self-love and self-compassion and I was like the poster child for no self-love no self-compassion and please don't see me right while at the same time wanting to have real connections like wanting to be cared about and loved not wanting to be 
like popular or famous, but like wanting people to care about me and and really struggling with that. So that's sort of the beginning of where I came from and uh, went to Wellesley College and double majored in biology and psychology. Literally was always going to be a pediatrician. Everyone in my world knew that. Added a psych major on for fun because it was sort of interesting and did my like all of my pre-med requirements, including organic chemistry. <laughs> that was not my thing. <laughs> and uh, then in the middle of I took my medical the MCAS, the medical college admission tests, did all of that. And then I was in an interview for med school and they were like, hey, why do you want to go to med school? And I tell this story because I literally had one of my first experiences of my brain talking to me while my mouth said something. Whatever my mouth said, it was a pre, you know, appropriate, reasonable. But what my brain was saying was like, I don't, I don't think I wanted to go to med school. I don't think I'm going to do that. That was huge. Like, so again, if we tie this into not feeling comfortable necessarily, by this point, I knew I could achieve things. So I was like perfectly okay with school and that kind of stuff. But self, how I really felt about me, not so great, right? Other than, so certain areas were fine, but the super internal stuff, no. So Part of that was, oh, my God, I can't do that because everyone knows I'm going to be a pediatrician. Like the world knows this because it, literally everyone who was, had ever been in my life knew that. So I left the interview, walked across campus, called my family, who at the time actually had wanted me to be a lawyer. And I said, um, hey, I'm going to go to grad school in psychology. I'm going to be a psychologist. And they're like, oh, my God. They lived in Arroway. They're like, we'll be there in an hour. <laughs> they took me out to dinner. And it wasn't because they wanted me to be a pediatrician. It's because they knew this was such a radical departure. Like, what's – like, who is – We're worried about child? you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Have a talk. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. And that's what I did. I went right from college to grad school, got my doctorate in clinical psychology, and began working at a variety of different places. So literally, I've like worked outpatient, inpatient, in the prisons, uh, serious mental illness. I've had my own private practice. I've got some specialties in working with like severe trauma, dissociative identity disorder. So there was all that. And that continued to be sort of this achieving kind of place. And so confidence growing, feeling good about that. But one of the things I often had to do was to give trainings. And so when I would go to give a training, I would be standing. Didn't matter that I knew the staff. I'd stand up in front of them. And <laughs> not only would my voice quiver, but I'd start talking really fast. And so it would be an hour presentation. I'm like, okay, 30 minutes. We're done. Any questions? Bye. Like, so bad. So bad because that fear of being judged of being not good enough of not feeling okay about me would take over in any of those kind of situations and by that point it was really at odds with let's say how I was in a meeting so I could be in a meeting with like CEOs and whatever heads of companies and they'd say something I'm like no that doesn't make sense I could completely speak up in that context but not in this other although related context so more time passes, did more things. And uh, actually, really what happened was the 2016 U.S. election. And uh, what happened right after that election was there's a lot of people in the world who were very unhappy. A lot of negativity, a lot of fighting difficulty from opposing positions. 
And while I had my own feelings about what had happened and how things had went, what was even harder was how the world was. Like the level of contention and distress, super hard. And that's what prompted me to write my first book. And so I had been doing lots of personal work along those years, right? So from the still quivering while giving talks, but literally sort of all of the things I could do inside because I knew like I had to get okay with me. And so those two things came together. The work I'd been doing, I had studied shamanism. I'd become a yoga teacher. Like I'd done a lot of things (laughs) to be in a better place. And I, I was. And so what I ended up doing was writing the book, Own Best Friend, Eight Steps to a Life of Purpose, Passion, and Ease. And that's how we met. Because literally what I'd come to realize was that we have to be our own best friend. And that when we do that, that's when we begin to have an impact, the ripple effect on the world. Because I can't do anything about anyone else. Like they're their own person. They're going to make whatever choices they make. But if I'm showing up in alignment as the person that I want to be, that is where I'm giving that positivity or that potential for growth to the world. And that began to grow and grow and grow. And it's sort of gone on since there. So both a long story and just short snippets. Well, you know, I'm going to come back to a whole bunch of those little snippets, right? Like, I'm like, you just dropped the whole life bomb on me. And so I'm like, there's got to be like, because there's such an interesting thing. And I think that we can all sort of understand and, and, you know, at some point in our lives, we can feel and sense and see ourselves in that beginning part of your story, which is, you know, I didn't feel like I belonged, but I was really excelling in certain areas. And so I can almost, the words that came through where I can almost hide behind how good I was in school, or I could hide behind how good I was in sports and not do, you know, my own personal stuff. Right. But I want to kind of touch upon this because it is fascinating to me, Christina, that you say it with such clarity that you just knew you were going to be a pediatrician and you leaned into the sciences. But I'm curious as to what was going on in your your head to like really thrive under those sciences and what made you add psychology in that last little kind of like, no, I think I'm just going to add psychology. The brain is fascinating. What What was that? Well, so I like biology was really interesting, right? And like science is interesting because it's about facts. And I think you're getting to part of what was going on because there were always these at least two different sides of me. Like I was well aware that I had both competency and feelings of not good enough at the same time, right? right. And so like someone would raise this question of like, oh, the, the idea of do you like yourself? And if I would ponder it, I'd be like, no. But then underneath that, but I do, because I feel good about these things. But underneath that, I don't. But underneath that, I do. Like So all the layers were really apparent to me. And I had this experience when I was in uh, my first psychology class. It was about midway through. And Can I ask like, how old you were at that point? Because I love to correlate ages to times. Yeah. So I must have been... Mm, I don't know if it was fall or spring. So either 19 or 20. Cool. And I was taught, so I'd been in class and we were talking about something, uh, like some kind of psychological theory that it, when I heard it, it just made sense. It really resonated. 
And so then I had this conversation because I became friendly with a lot of my professors. So I was talking to that professor afterwards. And I literally said, because people were asking questions and I just didn't get it. And I literally said to her, I don't get like, why are they asking those questions? They were sort of, to my mind, asking, um, so you're telling me two plus two is four? And and I was thinking about, like, and it, that didn't make sense to them at all. And in my head, I was like, oh, my God, of course it's four. And then you can do so many things with four. Like, you can multiply and you can do this and you can do this. Da, 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 da. Like, it just took off in my brain. And so I remember her saying to me, that's because this is natural to you, right? Like you're the person people have always come to. You're the confidant. Like that's partly why I was going to be a pediatrician because I was always helping people. She's like, you instinctively know this stuff and this is giving you frameworks and words to make sense of it, right? Like adding that science piece that you love because that's the sort of factual piece in there because human behavior just made sense to me in as much as it can, right? I, not that I can predict everything about everyone, but there's lots of patterns. There's so many things that we all share. We, I mean, that's really the things I talk about today are the common threads between us, the whole sort of hashtag, we're all human, right? That like, <laughs> no matter what it is, no matter what's going on, we have the same nervous system, same range of feelings, emotions, right? Our brains work in similar ways. So it was really easy for me to predict, like, if someone has this going on, then it was really likely that A, B, and C had occurred in their past. Like, that just seemed really obvious to me, obvious at the level of two plus two is four. And so that was the moment that I sort of really began pursuing this because it was just, it just made sense. It was fascinating. It first completely resonated. Class, your first class, yeah. it started to likely, I just think that's, that's amazing. And I want to kind of then take it because that was like four or five years of, of college that you were taking four years, all that. Yeah. Four years. And you had the capacity and the awareness. And I, I'm going to kind of relate it to something unrelated, but related. It's like, you know, you're marrying, you're becoming a pediatrician here right yeah. like you you had you know been exactly. wooing it and dating it all along oh yeah we were engaged yeah. we had the venue yeah. we had the dress absolutely yes right? and, and so you're now like pre-walking down the aisle you're in the interview yeah and the amount of people christina who would still walk down the aisle because that was the logical or the reasonable or the, you know, made sense on all the external ways, but you still had the inner knowing to say no in that moment. And I just, A, want to call attention to that and be and celebrate that moment with you and, and C, say like what viscerally was going on in your body when you made that decision. Oh, so I, it's very funny because A, I sort of freaked out and B, I was taking my second semester of physics, which I loathed, loathed. Physics made no sense to me at all. Oh, so God. literally what happened, like the way that I did this was I thought, oh, if I don't go to med school, I can drop out of physics. <laughs> I can withdraw. I don't know. And that, so this was on a Friday. I had a major physics test on Monday. And I'm like, oh, I don't have to do this. I don't. So it was this like sense of there's something I really don't like that I don't have to do because I'm not going to need that step. 
So literally that Monday, I went to the dean and said, I want to withdraw from physics. And she's like, oh, well, don't you like you'll have a W on your transcript and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, they started this major exam like 45 minutes ago. She's like, I guess you've made your mind up. I'm like, yes, I have. And I did. Right. And I had like more than enough credits and really good grades. And like it just it that was OK. Like none of that mattered. So. So viscerally, what was going on was, wow, this is terrifying, and yet it's the right thing. Like and there you was just so feel that clearly, clearly, and the relief I felt from not having to do physics was far greater than the fear I felt about what does it mean to do this. And there was also a ton of fear about what's everyone going to think. Right. Because it like this really was a big deal. And it, I knew there would then be a story like because everyone who knew me, I would then need to share the story because it would make no sense. Right. Cause right. That because I was walking down the aisle to be a pediatrician. And so, like, how did I leave that at the altar, which is incessant in essence what I did? I'm like, yeah, yeah no, nope, I eloped with someone else. Hi. Psychology. Exactly. <laughs> And I mean, like, truthfully, like, the way that you explained it here is that, like, you could, I don't know how many years you were in psychology, and we'll get to that, like, where you went after that. How many years were you in psychology, Christina? I, well, you mean... Practicing in all the different ways, because you graduated the university, and did you get right into it? I went right into, uh, yeah, so I went right from college to grad school, and then graduated, and have been practicing as a psychologist. So, um... I got licensed in 95. That year that happened that I just told you was 1983. So basically, we could say that moment occurred in 1983. Wow. 2019 now. Wow. So that was a 12-year journey to get licensed. Yeah. That's how long it takes to become... Well, so what happened, so so I had to complete college, and then it's usually four to five years... um, of grad school and then two years to get licensed afterwards. But in my case, I didn't want to take any loans. So I was being paid to go to grad school. I had um, a scholarship from the university and a, a job as a teaching assistant and I didn't want to take loans. So I went through the first part of my program, the master's degree and the comprehensive exams really quickly, a little faster than normal, and then took two years where I was just working in the field. So I worked as a child, family, and adolescent, uh, individual family and group therapist for two years while I remained enrolled in the program. Then I went and did my last year of the program. Then you have to do a year of internship, so I did that. And then I came back, finished my dissertation, got the degree and then got licensed okay, and in fact amazing. got licensed my daughter was born in january of 95 and i got licensed in april of 95 which meant uh there's a very low pass rate for that exam particularly back then and so i did all of my studying and prep immediately postpartum <laughs> holy mackinac christina that's incredible like seriously, and we as people, anyone who's listening, who's a mom, who's had a baby, and thinks about the first three months and the lack of sleep and all those kinds of things that go involved, we are like, wow, that is very, very impressive in this moment, right? I went to a prep course, and I was breastfeeding, 
And so, like, every time there was a break in the prep course, I was in the bathroom pumping. Like, it was insane. But I, it just it amazes me. This is why I had that, like, you amazed me at the beginning. I just knew this was going to happen. Um, because, like, that knowing and that drive and that understanding that this is where you were supposed to be and this is where you were supposed to be going. Like, you never, ever, ever, like, deterred from that path or let anything stand in your way. I mean, it was just logical to you probably at the time. I'm breastfeeding, so I just have to do this to get to my destination. Exactly. Yeah. So, the I mean, because well, the option, it, the only other option was to just not do it and give up. Right. And why, like, so that was a choice. Not that, like, I, let's be honest, not like I never thought that, never considered it. But right. on the whole, like, I'll give you an example. Like, that wasn't worth it. When I was doing my dissertation, so this is before I had my daughter, I had done all the research, but then I had to write it up. Well, I already knew what happened, so I wasn't that interested in writing it up. Like, I know the outcome. You know, there's, like, no mystery to it. And this was back when it was typewriters, and you couldn't have one mistake on a page. So if you typed one letter wrong, rip the page out and start all over again. Okay, so <laughs> that was tough. Only I was making very little money, so I, I lived a lot on macaroni and cheese and tuna fish. And what kept me going was, do I want a life of macaroni and cheese? Like, because if I give up, if I don't do this, then I'm bringing more macaroni and cheese into my life. And not that there's anything wrong with it, but I wanted something more than that in my diet, right? I wanted to be able to have salmon sometimes. I could still have the macaroni and cheese, but I, I wanted more. And so that's what I would use to keep me going and write my dissertation is I just, I was good with what I had, but it wasn't everything that I wanted. So... So then the choice became really clear. I've got to keep going and surmount these obstacles because I want more than just macaroni and cheese. I use a lot of macaroni and cheese examples. I love that. No, because it's so true, right? But nobody else motivates us but us, right? Like, you know what I mean? And we have to find the way that, you know, our own personal being will respond. And if it's saying, do you want to have mac and cheese and, and tuna for the rest of your life and getting the response no and showing up, then that that worked, right? Some people, yeah. it's like visualizing, you know, standing on stages and having, you know, Oprah style clapping at them and being able to do the, you get a gift and you get a gift or whatever it is. <laughs> now, I love this whole conversation because we've been talking about the science of Christina Hallett. But yep. there's another side to you. Yes, there is. Right? So interwoven through all of this story is now the part where you started to do your internal journey. Is mm -hmm. this right? Yeah. And so where in all of this incredible, like, science and knowing and, and you know, leaving one uh, career at the altar and, you know, completely starting to date a new one, did you start to do the, you know, spiritual journey on yourself? So in grad school, uh, and actually while I was working, you know, during that time, I met a number of different people who had really interesting things to say, and who that was sort of my first introduction to Buddhist writing, and understanding different ways of looking at the world, right from a philosophical or faith based basis. And so I was introduced to a number of different things, and I love to read, so I started reading and exploring different things. And way back then, um, I also read a really powerful book uh, by Richard Bach. It was like made such a difference in my world, and it was Illusions. 
And so in this book, basically it's an allegory, but it's a story about how we, our mind has far more, and our spirit, far more power over the world than we realize. And so there's sort of like a, you know, a mentor and a person who's learning along the way. And, um, God, I'm not going to remember right now the exact quote because I've used it so many times. Oh, yes, I remember it. So at the beginning of each chapter, he'd have these like little pithy little quotes that were things that made me think. And the one that stuck with me, so now we're talking multiple decades this has been with me, was this. Argue for your limitations, and sure enough, they're yours. Boom. Mic drop. Exactly. And so that prompted me to look into more of that kind of reading and that kind of learning and that kind of self-exploration. Because one of the other things that happened in the book Illusions was at some point, the mentor says to the guy who's learning all of this, um, the world is only as solid as you imagine it. And so there's this whole scene where the guy is like, no, that's not true. Like I'm standing on the ground. And he's like, but you don't have to be. And then the next thing he uses his mind and he's like sinking into the ground. I didn't believe that, but the idea that that could be possible intrigued me. And I thought there was something to it. I, I just didn't understand it. I didn't know, but so I mostly wrote it off and stayed with these other pieces that were sort of safer and you know more mainstream, but that that spark stayed there. So I also read lots of, so I then ended up reading and exploring all sorts of Christian things, Buddhist things, like you name it, sort of across the board. Over time, uh, one of the things that I did was, as I said, I became a yoga teacher, which was, so of course I'd done my own therapy. Like you can't do whole psychology thing without doing your own therapy. So I was pretty self-aware. But, and so I really clearly knew where my hot buttons and stories were. And I had done what I could in psychology to fix them. But in many ways, I also knew that I was sort of a talking head, that my head could think things, but I wasn't necessarily feeling them in my body. So that was the reason, in part, for doing the yoga teacher training was to connect mind and how and older more. How old were you around that point? Mm, 45. Oh, you did yoga at 45? Oh, yeah. All right, because you, to the way that I, okay, we just jumped a big gap here, Christina, because in my mind, you're like mid-20s reading illusions. I am. Right, right. So then we're mid-20s reading illusions, and then all of a sudden, I've just jumped two decades. Correct. To do the yoga, but where in this is the shamanic stuff? Right after yoga. Oh, so like we are like way over here. So this entire yeah. time was all science. Yeah. Yeah. But but science combined with faith. Right. And spirit. Right. Right. So but because science was so big, I was definitely a prove it to me. Also, I did not used to be able to like one of the things I couldn't do was visualize personally because I didn't. Like, I literally didn't understand it. People would be like, like this, that whole standard psychological thing. Oh, create a safe, happy place in your mind. And like everybody thinks about the beach. And like four people think of the mountains. And I try to visualize that. And I'm like, yeah, I just, I just couldn't. Like it just wasn't there because I always knew it wasn't there. So I'm like, yeah, it's no. So 
So I, I had. Can I just pause for a second? Because yeah. for those listening, because I know I have come across lots of people in my life who can't visualize either. They, they say, I don't visualize. I just want to honor you and let you know that you are not alone in this. <laughs> All right. Right. So, right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and meanwhile, I'm like teaching people to visualize. I'm like a oh, hypocrite. Like I can't do it, but you know, maybe they can. And so some people could. So I knew what to do and how to do it. I just couldn't do it. So. Uh, um, I but I had begin so before the yoga training actually so I had gone to like a couple different shamanic things or you know more like a, what were basically termed new agey kind of things and I'm like oh this is interesting but it's probably not true it, right so again like doubt 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 and where this came together so why am I talking about visualization because. I went to, and it was, I take this back, it was before the yoga training. I went to a meet your spirit animal workshop. And it was at the yoga place where I then later did my teacher training. So I'm at this thing, and I'm going with my two daughters, and we're driving over. And basically, I'm just thinking like, oh, this will be like, cool, whatever. I don't, I don't believe it, but I just think it'll be cool. And so I say, jokingly, Oh, I hope my spirit animal is like a dolphin or something like that. At which point the older of the two gets really pissed and she's like, Christina, this is my daughter who came to me through my husband, right? So um, she's like, oh, Christina, that's not how it works. You don't get to pick what your spirit animal is. I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, change the subject. <laughs> Never mind. Like, I was just making a joke because I, I wasn't really believing it, right? So we go in, we do the thing, and... Um, the first part is that there's a whole visualization and I'm sort of able to visualize it. And then I have the first real part of it because it's like, see your spirit guide, not the spirit animal, but like a guide. And so in my head, I see this, what looks like sort of a Native American medicine man. And I think everyone, there's 35 people in this room, every single person in here is visualizing the same thing. Cause like, that's what you would do, right? Like it's a guide, meet your spirit animal. Like clearly this is just like stereotypical, whatever. But, but I also am actually visualizing it. So I'm like, oh, but that's sort of cool. So then we do the whole shamanic journey, right? Which is sort of like a guided meditation if yeah. you've never done one. Yeah, I've done so one. we're doing that. And so now the guide, blah, 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 blah. So now I'm in this, whatever, meadow. And, um, and I'm lying on a yoga mat. And at all times, I am aware that I'm lying on a yoga mat on the floor. I can feel the yoga mat on my back, right? So I'm like very conscious of that. And so at the same time that the person guiding it is saying, imagine this, go here, do this. I'm both imagining it and my voice is like, oh my God, this is crap. This isn't even real, blah, 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 blah. Like, I, I don't get this. So both are going on at the same time, both voices. Awareness of the present in the visualization and my science brain scoffing hard at the whole thing. <laughs> so the leader says, okay, so like turn around in your visualization and you'll see your spirit animal. And I remember thinking, please, turn around, like whatever. And then the really weird thing happened because... As I'm thinking, nothing is going to happen, like, now what am I supposed to do? I feel what feels like a nudging, a pushing on my lower back. And I think, 
oh, that's really weird because I'm lying on a yoga mat on the floor, on a wood floor. Like, there's nothing pushing me. But it feels like it again. And I'm like, yeah, that's weird. So somehow after I feel this, I somehow imagine myself turning around. And then I have like the complete visualization while knowing I'm still on a mat, but I feel like I'm seeing this huge cat, not like a domestic cat, but it's a, and I think to myself, oh my God, that's a huge cat. I see the colors, the eyes, everything super, super clear. And I'm like, it's not a lion, but what, like, that's a big cat. And then I go on to have this experience of not just sort of interacting with the cat, this is going to sound really weird, but then I have what, where I feel like I have now transformed into the same big cat but a separate and my experiences that were like like tumbling together and playing and rolling and stuff like that and then the leader's like okay now blah 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 go back to the present bring your animal with you so come back to awakening sit up and then we have to partner off now i'm back to skepticism and i'm like hmm, whatever so i'm partnered with some woman that i don't know and she tells me her spirit guide was the face of her dead dog. And meanwhile, I'm thinking in my head, why didn't you see a Native American medicine man? Like, I can't believe you got it wrong, <laughs> right? And I just start describing to her what I see. And she says, oh my God, that's a cougar. So I immediately pull out my phone and Google a picture of a cougar. And it's exactly what I feel like I've seen. Now, as it turns out, another word for cougar is um, mountain lion. And so I then claimed mountain lion because I could not see myself going around saying, I'm a cougar. Like that did not work for me. <laughs> like, okay, I'm a mountain lion. I'll go with that. Uh, the group then went around and everyone talked and everyone shared like who their spirit guide was. No one in that room had, had visualized what I had. Like everyone had stuff that was specific to them. And, and no one had the other uh, sense of a, the spirit animal that I had. And I, then, after I left, Googled uh, shamanic meaning of mountain lion, and it was completely in alignment with the challenges that I was facing in that moment. And so that hit home. So it brought me back to that place of the guy who could sink into the ground in illusions. Right. And this argue for your limitations and sure enough, they're yours. And that really began that part of the journey. But I didn't tell anyone about it except my close friends and family for a while because my family all thought I was a lunatic. And they're like, OK, sure, honey, like good for you. But it felt so consistent with the faith based part of the Buddhist teachings and the Tibetan teachings and all of this other stuff. And so I just began to explore and learn and train more and more and more. And that just grew. And so that led into the yoga training. And then did you get your shamanic practitioner and things like that as well? Yeah. Like to, to really, cause it's really about integration, right? right. Like Exactly. Right. So now I had mind body from yoga and spirit from the shamanism. And so I studied in the US, I went to Peru and studied, I went to Ireland and to Costa Rica and studied uh, this particular tradition of the Caro shaman. And yeah, it just fit me really well. Well, and I think that this is a really powerful, like for those who are listening to like, there is a moment where we are 
guided into an awakened state, in my opinion. Right. And yeah. so, you know, to me, this was that moment for you of awakening of really allowing almost like yourself to receive the full breath of what your mind was, you know, being led through faith. Yeah. Right. It's just like, I could just imagine like popping like a, a block and it's like, it became a full body experience. Yeah, it completely did. And of course, there was still like a lot of learning, but that allowed me to then deal with and address those same issues that I'd referenced that I had made progress on. So yoga brought me to a different level of dealing with them. And then the shamanic and the spirit work brought me to yet another level. So I got to be at the place where I could be my own best friend, where I could love myself and completely appreciate all of my flaws, as well as, you know, not wanting them. Like nobody goes around saying, hey, I want to be flawed, right? But we have them. So this idea of as a human being, it means that there will be struggle, that there is challenges, that you will screw up, you will fall. But all of that, we have a choice. We can see that as part of our learning journey or not. And so my prior training, it, like literally everything came together and then everything was so much clearer, which resulted in me now being the person who's on, you know, big stages in the U.S. and internationally. And I love it. I, like I don't quiver and I don't talk fast. And I just did this speaking engagement where it was this really cool event called Speakers Who Dare and everyone else memorized eight minutes of a particular talk they wanted to give. But what I did for Speakers Who Dare was I went up on stage, the MC asked the audience for ideas. They gave me five radically different ideas. People I didn't know just sh shouted out ideas. And then I had 20 minutes and I created an eight minute talk and went back up on stage and gave it. What? Yeah. We didn't, I didn't know that everybody. Just sorry, oh. I'm like jaw dropping moment. Yeah. Christina. Yeah. If so, you Google, if you go into YouTube under Speakers Who Dare and look for my name, right, you'll see the video. And I love it. And this is so relevant, I think, to our conversation, because one of the one of the topics that they gave me was red jumpsuits. That's it. Like red jumpsuits. Well, the MC was wearing one and someone else who had already spoken was wearing a red jumpsuit. And so I opened my talk with the literal truth of what happened because I got the ideas. Someone wrote them down for me, went away to go think about what I was going to say in my eight minutes. And literally my brain was consumed by red jumpsuits. And it was sort of along the lines of, oh my God, red jumpsuits. Those two people looked really good in red jumpsuits. I could never wear a red jumpsuit. What's wrong with me that I can't wear a red jumpsuit? Did I wear the right clothes? <sighs> Perhaps I should have thought about something. Like I started to get caught up in the negative internal talk that I'd worked so hard. But now what I have is it still happens. It's like, that's what I'm saying. That's the important piece. It's not that I never have that critical internal voice. But instead, I said, oh, huh, that's me being unkind. I don't think I want to go there. This is not about that. But that was then the opening of my talk. I went on and said, hey, you guys said red jumpsuits. And literally what happened was I started using up all my time consumed by negative internal thoughts of like, was I good enough? And did I wear the right thing? And this is how we begin to get over it and then walk people through the process of how not to do that and to stay in that place, but instead to get into that loving, compassionate, self-caring So then what was the talk you did choose? 
So well, so that so what that's so I used I actually used all five of the things that they gave me. So oh. I started off by talking about red jumpsuits. Someone wanted to know why do we love why do some people love their dogs more than their spouses? Oh, that's hilarious. So I, I I looked up the research. I'm like, and there is some truth to that. And I talked about what that has to do in terms of again feeling not good enough or getting unconditional love. And I talked about oxytocin and bonding. Another topic was. Um, what's the difference between communication and conversation? So, again, these are pretty deep and awesome, like yeah. ideas, right? And then something was there was something about I think empathy and self compassion, and then there was something else. There were five. I, offhand, I don't remember. Right. If you listened to the talk, you'd know what they were. But because, um, but. Yeah. And then I talked about breathing. Like basically I said, I, I, so I went through the process and that was really the, my point in doing this was no matter what someone throws out, we see things through our own eyes and we have the opportunity to relate it to what's important to us. So whatever the topics were, ultimately what it comes down to is if I want to approach the world as someone who is always working to grow in my ability to care for myself, which I know helps me sustain compassion for others. So that's how I can choose to see the world. So whatever you can say, Brussels sprouts. And if you say Brussels sprouts, I'm going to be like, oh, that's a green vegetable. Green vegetables are really healthy. One of the things to live our best life that we need is to eat well, sleep well, move our body and breathe. So Brussels sprouts become integral. On the other hand, I hate Brussels sprouts. Oh, me too. So, oh, my God. Nobody else. But you know, right. I'm going to fist pump you right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Because everyone loves them. I'm like, no, they're disgusting. Even the smell. Uh, so. Right. So where would we go with that? Then we would say, like what I would say if I were doing that talk would be, so the the thing is sometimes there's stuff that's really good for us that we just don't like or doesn't fit with us. So then we have to look around and say, well, how can I keep what's good for me, but find it in a way that works for me? Like that's the process. So really my point in doing all this was to say that we have so much choice that when we're willing to be open with ourselves, to increase our self-awareness, and to really embrace the concepts of self-compassion and come to self-love and to dispute those negative internal thoughts, then we get to be functional, we get to take exciting risks, we get to grow and expand, and we get to learn from everything that we're in. Okay, this is a great segue, and I think you did that on purpose maybe to one of the things that is one of your signature talks. And I think that this is a valuable conversation to have because I'm super interested to hear it. And to, uh, you gave me a little nugget of it when I was on your podcast and you kind of dropped it like a bomb before or after our chat. So guys, when you're on a podcast, you have like three minutes before, or maybe five minutes after, and you try and like talk as much as you possibly can with your friend and your the host and like get all the information out and it's gone. Right. But one of the things that you said, and I think that it will have a visceral response. Some people will feel it as a discomfort in their body. And can you, sh you know what I'm asking. So can you share a little bit about it? I don't want to give the title away because I think it's powerful when it comes from you. Yeah. So I think that you're talking about redefining self-love. Yes. So he there's a myth and it's a myth that I have participated in, both to myself, to clients for decades. And if you were to look up self-love, let's say do a Google search, you would get over 1 billion hits that would all say, you must love yourself first 
before you can love anyone else. And that's not true. It's not true. So many people are like in their cars or listening to this while they're right. jogging or they're doing something and they're like, what are you talking about, Christina? Yeah, it's a really big concept. And this is something that I'm really excited about because we're taught this, but it's false. In fact, it can't be true because when we're born, we first receive love right, of some sort and we give love which is in the nature of because we appreciate being taken care of, right? We get a bottle, we get our diapers changed, stuff like that. So we first love or attach to someone else. Then as our brains grow, we're able to begin to receive and accept love from other people. And both of those continue to happen. Those are a growth process. But it's not until much later in general are we then able to take what we've learned from giving love and what we've learned from accepting and receiving love and put them together and begin to start the process of self-love. And so, and that's why it's so important because, and I feel so bad about all the times I said to people, oh, why doesn't your relationship work? Well, you have to love yourself first. I'm like, no, there's like generations of people who think, wow, like, can I ever like, do I really love them? I think I love my kids, but I don't love myself. So how can that be? Like, there's a disconnect that people have believed that just doesn't make any sense, right? Because, yeah, like, you can have your kids and love them or a spouse and love them or a friend and love them and still not be at that place where you love yourself. But the beauty is you can take from how you've learned to love them and to receive some love from them, whoever that is, and use those mechanisms to begin to apply it to yourself. And that's also where you use self-compassion. Right. It's almost like, and I don't know if this is part of it, like there is a level in which I think even learning to receive love is one of the most challenging things for the majority of the population, right? To truly allow themselves to be on that scale of when somebody's saying you're exceptional or you're amazing or you're beautiful or, you know, you do this better than anyone else I've ever seen or like you have this great gift and that that doesn't even make it in. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so there was me sending you a note. <laughs> this is watching the YouTube version of this. We'll see that I got like the note across the desk. <laughs> There's so much I could, you know, totally continue asking about this, right? Because I think that this is a huge, and people can look you up, right, Christina? Like, Absolutely. To find more information about what you're doing with yeah. this concept and, you know, really bringing that information out into the world in a bigger yeah. way. If you go to Dr. Christina Hallett, and it's Christina with a K, right? So K-R, and Hallett has two L's and two T's. So if you go to drchristinahallett.org, that's where people can begin to see the stuff that I talk about and and other things that I've written and share. Do you have how they could work with you and where your next talks are and all that kind of stuff in there as well? A or? lot of that, yeah, there's a lot of that in there. I, frankly, you could Google me and then there's like, you can just find lots of different things that I've done um, or stuff that's upcoming. I'm also on social media as Christina Hallett and as Dr. Christina Hallett. So like, um, you know, anywhere, LinkedIn, yeah, just like keep anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Just, just begin the journey of, because yes. I mean, like we, again, it's like, 
it's so much fun to put the pebble over the pond and drop it in the water for everybody who's listening. And then the ripples will spread out and the people will be like, I need to know more information. I want to hear what you have to say. And they can start to do their own research and yeah. find, you know, the next steps for them to, to lean into doing that work on themselves. Um, one of the things I do like to ask, and I'm not sure if you're going to call it the same one, which is the book that made the most impact to you. Are you going to say it's illusions at this point? So, in that, yes, in that it started right. this whole thing, right? right. And there's, there's so many books that have made a huge impact. I mean, I literally won't even be able to recall all of them. Right. And it just the list continues to grow because everything I know now is cumulative to everything that I've ever experienced, right? So on a more recent scale... Um, the Upside of Stress by Kellen McGonigal had a huge impact on me because it gave me some of the science to put together with some of the things I know about human behavior from a psychology perspective. Um, and quite frankly, my own second book is where I take this whole other way of me looking at the world and talk about it through the lens of my stories and other stories from people I've done coaching with. And... Um, so that's be awesome. And my podcast is now be awesome, right? So this whole idea of, yeah, like we all have the opportunity to be awesome. So in this funny way, creating the book, be awesome, banish burnout, um, it became really impactful because it was the synthesis of everything. And so, so not in this self aggrandizing or like, Oh, my book impacted me, but the process of creating that book and becoming the person who wrote that book has been really impactful. I love that. Well, I am just super appreciative that you just came and shared your magic with everybody. You are incredible and awesome and amazing. And I am sending so much gratitude and love to you. And um, again, everybody, I look forward to Transformation Tuesday coming up uh, next Tuesday. And thank you again, Christina. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Bye, everybody.